Good to see you again. Welcome back as we continue our journey through the, the Gospel of John um, on this pilgrimage. And, um, and you need to know that your journey, it will be different from mine. Your journey is going to be different from everybody else's um, because God is going to guide and direct you and speak to you in different ways than he does to anybody else. God has a, a plan for your life just as he has a plan for everybody else's life. Uh, and your, your plan may be a little different than somebody else's. Uh, and that's why it's good to get feedback from you. You know, what, what, what is God saying to you so that we can all learn together, so that we all journey together, so that we can um, learn from one another? Um, but let's, let's see where we end up today. Uh, we're going to start, uh, we're, we're up to uh, chapter 10 in the Gospel of John. Um, this is the longest section in, in um, being with Jesus. So it's, it's going to take us a little while to get through this section. The, then we have one more stage that we will look at. It won't take quite as long. And I hope you're reading the scriptures before. Uh, if you haven't read these scriptures before we go through them, because I'm just doing highlights. I, I'm just doing insights from some of the things that relate to the development of the disciples that Jesus was uh, training and teaching, that he was mentoring. Um, and, and there are so many other truths in this scripture that, um, that you will get if you read it in context. And then when, when we go through it together, um, some of these highlights, some of these insights will, will trigger some thoughts for you that you may not have thought before. So I hope that you will, you will do that. But in chapter 10, we see where Jesus continues to confront the religious leaders. And, and, and in this chapter, he compares himself to them. He talks about the, uh, the good shepherd. And when he's talking about the good shepherd, then he's referring to these religious leaders as, you know, the bad shepherds. And he compares how the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. The good, good shepherd is willing to sacrifice himself for the life of the sheep. And uh, he claims that these religious leaders of his day, the, the bad shepherds, they don't care about the sheep. They don't care anything about the sheep that they are uh, supposedly in, in charge of, that they're shepherding. They care more about themselves. They care more about their prestige. They care more about their image. They care more about their sense of position in the community than they do about the, the needs of, of the sheep. Um, and the Jews didn't understand that. They didn't want to understand that. Because what Jesus was saying, I, I am the right way and you are the wrong way. And they just blocked that out. Um, but he tried to make it clear to them in chapter 10, verses 25 through 30. Verses 25 through 30 of chapter 10. It, it kind of talks about how um, uh, they connect with each other. Jesus answered them, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
Well, these were pretty cutting words because, uh, you know, as these religious leaders were confronting Christ and Jesus was saying, I, I told you these things and you've seen the miracles, but they, they didn't want to believe that. Uh, but here Jesus is saying that his sheep know him because they know his father. And if you know the father, you know the son, and they hear his voice and they respond to, and they follow him. And these religious leaders were not doing that. Um, and he's saying that when, once you are in the hand of God, God's got you. Nothing can take you out of the hand of God once you are uh, one of his uh, sheep. So what did the religious leaders want to do? They, they didn't. They didn't pay any attention to the miracles and the signs that Jesus was doing. They didn't pay any attention to the to the prophecies about Jesus and how Jesus was fulfilling those prophecies. None of that. And they knew those prophecies. They knew their scriptures. Um, they they ignored the teaching of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist had come before Jesus, and um, and they didn't pay any attention to that. They just ignored all of that because their hearts were hardened. Uh, they'd already made up their mind. Instead of believing Jesus was who he claimed to be, they picked up stones to kill him. They wanted, for what? For healing people? For doing good? For claiming to be God? Jesus had not done anything that deserved death. But because they religious leaders were uh, intent on keeping their position in the community. Um, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. Now remember that the disciples were with Jesus during all of this. They were, they were learning. They were listening. And what Jesus was trying to do was to help the disciples to grow outside of the religious traditions that they'd become accustomed to. Religious traditions can be a killer in the church. You know, we, we, why do we do what we do in the church? Do we do it because God wants us to do it, or do we do it because we've always done it that way? And traditions, they're not bad in themselves, but most of, many of our traditions that we observe in the church are, have lost their meaning, have lost their power, because we don't know why we do it. We just did it, do it, because that's what was given to us by those who came before us. And what Jesus was, was doing with the disciples here is, uh, was having the, the, uh, the disciples question the, the religious leaders and, and think about why they were doing what they were doing, empowering them in their relationship with God rather than just following traditions. Um, traditions are not bad in themselves, but traditions can be a spiritual killer because once we get do it because it's always been done, it loses its meaning and loses its power to draw us closer to God. When we no longer have power in it, then it's no longer effective in our relationship with God. And that's what Jesus was doing uh, with the disciples. And then in chapter 10, I, I'm sorry, chapter 11, J Jesus gives um, a, a story to help us to understand that. Um, 
It's a story uh, in the life of Christ to describe who Jesus was and to contrast Jesus with the religious leaders. None of the other Gospels include the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. The other Gospels don't have it in there. Uh, but John places this event just before the Passion of Christ, just before Jesus is uh, crucified himself and comes back to life. John places it there, and there are some, uh, the, some reasons for that, that he has it there. Lazarus was well-respected in the community, and many, many people came out to, to grieve with his family. If you recall... Um, Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, but he didn't go. He waited. He waited uh, three, four days before he went to uh, where they were, and by the time he got there, Lazarus was already dead. Now, there are a number of reasons why um, Jesus waited, uh, and we're not going to go into all of those. Um, the disciples knew that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. And there was a, there was a verse that, that, that uh, gives some insight into the level of commitment that the disciples had come to at this point. That's uh, verse 16. Verse 16 of chapter 11 says, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Let's go with him to uh, Bethany, to the place where Lazarus was. Which, and Bethany was right outside of Jerusalem. Let's go with him to where these religious leaders are going to gather. Uh, Lazarus uh, was, again, well-respected, and, and many of the Jewish leaders would have been at the funeral, uh, would have been uh, grieving with the family. And the disciples knew that. And they knew that uh, these people wanted to kill Jesus. Let us go with him that we may die with him. Now, these were some of the same people, fishermen, tax gatherers, um, misfits as I call them, just common, ordinary people who came to see who Jesus was, who've come to believe that he was who he was, who have heard, listened to his teaching, and now are working with him in his kingdom's work. Uh, now, their level of commitment has grown to the place where they are willing to die with him. They don't have a clue what that means. and They don't have a clue of, of as, really, they don't have a full understanding of who Jesus is yet, but they're willing to die with him. Um, and, and that shows how they have, uh, have grown and how far they have come in their uh, relationship uh, with Christ. The dialogue between Jesus and Mary and Martha illustrates how they believe Jesus could heal but not raise the dead. Their, their concept of who Jesus was had not developed yet. Verses 23 through 27 of chapter 11, when Jesus finally arrives, um, there's a dialogue he has with the sisters of Lazarus. And 23 through 27 says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus responds, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never 
die. Do you believe this? Boy, that's a pretty potent question. Do you believe that when you die, you will live again? And that's what Jesus was asking Martha. Because, you know, Martha believed in a resurrection, but she did not believe that Jesus was able to raise the dead. So the, the power, they, they gave him some power, but they didn't give him power to raise the dead. They believed that if he'd been there, that he would be alive, that he could have healed him, but he was, they did not believe that he had power over death. And Jesus is telling them, do you believe that I can raise the dead? Do you believe that I have power over death? Uh, and that's a question we need to ask ourselves because that gives us hope for the future. Those are words that um, um, change the way we experience life and certainly changes the way that we experience death. Uh, John is being very clear that Jesus has power over death. But the followers of Christ did not know that yet. They weren't assured or realized the full extent of God's power, of who Jesus was. Uh, so, that, so they were learning. Their, their relationship was growing as, as they learned more about him. You see, we, we're after the resurrection. We, we have the, the, the resurrection of Christ we can look back on. These disciples were learning about Christ prior to the resurrection. They had not experienced that yet. Uh, and, that, and certainly the resurrection changes a lot of things in their hearts and minds. But let's look at um, verses 41 through 44 of chapter 11. Verses 41 through 44, because this is a powerful testimony to the power of God and how he gives life. Um, he, he gives eternal life, but he also gives us spiritual life too. And, uh, and this describes that spiritual life for us in a way that, um, that only Jesus could do. So they took away the stone. Jesus has arrived. He's talked to the family. And he says, show me where, he has, where, he's lay, where, where the tomb is. And they said, well, he's been in, in there for three days. His body's already decaying. It'd be a mess in there. Don't, you, don't want to go, you don't want to go in there. Jesus said, I, I, I need to see it. So he says, take away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave cloths and let him go. Now, put yourself in that situation. You're there grieving with the family. There are tears. There's mourning. Uh, you have buried this guy. And, and then along comes Jesus. He has them roll away the stone. And he calls out for this dead man to come out. And the dead man comes out of the grave. Gets up out of the grave and walks out. Still wrapped in the cloths. Of death, and that's when we come to Christ. When we uh, um, 
make our profession of faith in Christ, when we come to, to new life in him, we still have the trappings of our old life with us. And sometimes we have to take care of that before the coming to, to spiritual life is um, uh, illustrated by Lazarus coming out still having the grave cloths on him. Because we're used to the old life. We're used to the old way of doing things. Uh, but the new life in Christ frees us from all of that. And we have to get those things off of us before we can um, live the life that God wants us to have. So when, when we experience new life in Christ, when we go through that transformation of, uh, of giving our life to Him, um, it, it's, it's, it's not a one and done thing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a process. We grow spiritually. We deal with uh, the, the issues of life as they come to us. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little later on too. But, but the image of that is very powerful. And it was, a, uh, it was the first time that Jesus did something publicly as well. So many times he told people, you know, um, he healed them and he'll say, don't tell anybody. Keep, let's keep this between us. But he, he, now he was going public and he did it in front of many of these religious leaders and it caused them to kill him. That's what led to his crucifixion. Many people believed in when this happened. This man has power over death. That was a powerful testimony. But some of them went and told the chief priest back in Jerusalem and said, look what this guy's done. Look, look what he's doing. And what did they do? They called a meeting. They had a meeting. I love it when we do that. Um, the raising people from the dead was not uh, testimony enough to who Jesus was. They called a meeting and said, how are we going to kill him? How are we going to get rid of him? Um, the miracle meant nothing to them. They were worried about themselves. Verses 47 and 48 tells us that. Uh, then the priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and their nation. So they take away their power and their position um, in, in, the, uh, in the world in which they lived. And they didn't want that. But they, but they saw the miraculous signs. They knew what Jesus was doing, but they were intent on killing him. And because of this event, Jesus had to withdraw from public view. Jesus went off to be by himself because they were after him. Then we move on to chapter 12. Uh, this was a few days later. And, and chapter 12 begins um, a, a journey through the uh, passion of Christ, the, the um, Lord's Supper, the um, arrest, the uh, trial, um, the crucifixion and the resurrection. John spends a lot of time in this section. Um, we're not going to dwell on a lot of it because you already know that story. If you've been with us so far on this, you know what happened uh, during these next few days. But, but, but again, the disciples are watching. The disciples are, are learning as, as they went. So let's, let's see how the impact this might have had on the disciples 
what impact should it have on us as we grow in our relationship with Christ? Uh, Jesus came to back to Bethany and attended a dinner. Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead, was at this dinner. Um, now, I believe what Jesus was doing, he knew that he was going to be arrested and crucified. So he, he goes to visit his friends. Um, was, there was that section, that part of Jesus who who needed that sense of encouragement before he faced that trial and crucifixion. Um, all of us do. Jesus did. We need the fellowship of believers. We need people who will encourage us and support us and be there for us in our hour of need. Um, if Jesus needed it, how much more so do we? But that's where he went. He went to be with his friends and they had dinner together. Um, they, uh, it was here that um, Mary uh, anointed the, the feet of Jesus and this was symbolic of his uh, crucifixion in preparing him for, um, for his death. But there, there was something else about this too that I think we need to respond to. Um, Mary anointed the feet of Jesus and the scripture says she wiped his feet with her hair. Um, that was pretty extravagant. I mean, a, a year's wages to have bought that perfume that she used. A whole year salary. And she poured it on his feet. Um, but she did it because she loved Jesus. And, she, and you know, and certainly they were good friends already, and Jesus had done much for her. But why did she have to be so extravagant in her expression of love? Have you ever done anything extravagant for someone that you loved? You know, have, do you, for a birthday or um, an anniversary or a, a child's special birthday, um, you know, or graduation, they, you want to do something very special for them because you love them. And, and that's what Mary did because she loved him. She expressed her love in a very extravagant way. What was the most extravagant thing you have done because you love Jesus? What is the most extravagant thing you have done to express your love for Jesus Christ? Uh, Mary could, uh, could say that she did something that was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience for her. Um, but think about how you express your love for Christ. How do you let Christ know you love him? What are ways that you can demonstrate your love for Jesus Christ? The next day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, and crowds were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, but you know, this same crowd that was shouting Hosanna uh, on that Sunday would be shouting, shouting crucify him on Friday. Uh, it, I call it mob rule. When you get a crowd and you get them emotionally worked up over anything, 
you can change that emotion one way or the other. And it can be very dangerous. Um, it, it, this experience, the crowds came, and they, but they became a mob very easily. Uh, the crowd was interested in what they could get out of Jesus. And they wanted freedom from Rome. So when they saw Jesus riding in, they, they missed the symbol of the donkey. It wasn't on a, a conquering steed or horse. He came in on, on, a, on a donkey as a servant. They missed that <clears throat> because they were so caught up in what they wanted. And the emotions of the crowd were involved in him, them shouting Hosanna. Um, you know, it's easy to follow the crowd. Uh, most churches are packed on Sunday, Easter Sunday because everybody goes to church on Easter because that's what you're supposed to do. We shout Hosanna. We even do special things. We, Well, I can get up one sunrise a year and it's, uh, because Jesus died for me. I, I can do that. One, once, once a year I can do a sunrise service. Um, and that's our way of saying we love Jesus. But that can change very easily. What if nobody else is there, would you still shout Hosanna? Would you still say thanks to God for what he has done for you? Would you still worship him if nobody else was doing it? Following the crowd is not always a healthy expression of our love for Christ. Um, sometimes we have to find that still small voice within ourselves not based on what we can get out of Christ, not based on what, what he can do for us. Anytime you're in a relationship with somebody and that relationship is based on what that person can do for you, that's an unhealthy relationship. Uh, because the moment that they're no longer able to do that, they're not needed. The relationship is over. When it's based on what they can do for you, so if you perceive that you no longer need that person, then you're done. Okay, i got to tell you a joke now. This guy went to the horse race. And he was, um, his horse was coming in last when it came out of the gates. And he said, Lord, I know I don't, I don't pray too much, but I really wish you would, would help me here. And uh, he kept on praying, and, and his horse started gaining speed and moving up closer to the front. And... When they came down the home stretch, his horse was in the lead, and he stopped praying. And the Lord spoke to him and said, how come you stopped praying? And the man said, well, I don't need you now because my horse is winning. Um, so often we try to use God when we need him, when we want something out of him. But when we've got what we want, we don't need him anymore. And if your relationship with God is based on what you can get out of him, it's unhealthy. God wants you to love him for who he is, not for what he can do for you. God wants you to love him because he loves you. And he wants to experience that relationship with you. Um, anyway, all jokes beside, we're moving on. Uh, verse 16 of um, chapter 12. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. 
The disciples watched the 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 uh, Jesus ride in on the donkey. They 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 watched the people shouting Hosanna, and they saw all of these things happening, and but they didn't know exactly what was happening after the resurrection. Later, they looked back on it and they realized, well, this was talked about in the Old Testament that he would come in on a donkey. And, they, and the truth of the Old Testament and the, and the fulfilled promise, prophecies of Christ became alive to them then as they saw it in light of the resurrection. So they, the resurrection had a powerful impact on the lives of the disciples. Um, the lives of the disciples were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's something we'll be getting into later. Jesus was the Word of God in human flesh. And the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our lives today. We'll get to that in, uh, in a few chapters. Chapter 13. <clears throat> in, in, in John chapters 13 through 17, we find a very intimate dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. John does not include the Lord's Supper in his diary, in his memory. He doesn't, he doesn't say much about it. Um, but he emphasizes the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. For to abide in Christ is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we go through the, this dialogue that, that Jesus has with them, he's preparing them for his leaving. And you'll hear a lot about the Holy Spirit now. Notice in reading this section that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. doesn't mention himself by name. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, these are the final words that uh, Jesus gave to his disciples before he is crucified. And I think that's very important. It's the last thing you tell somebody before you leave on a trip. Don't forget to, and whatever that might be. Uh, and I think these words are very important for us to, to remember because it was the final instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. You see, Jesus taught by example as the disciples walked from town to town. He, he used common everyday thing, day life, things out of life. He used water, he used light, he used children, um, he used a tree, he used flowers. You know, he clothed the flowers and feeds the birds. Um, he, he used seeds on the ground, and that's where this comes from, the, the sower and the seeds. But, but Jesus used life as his classroom. That's how he taught. He taught through the experiences of life, and that's how he teaches us. Every experience of life, God will use to teach you about his love and his power, if we're paying attention. He is always there, and he's always um, demonstrating his love, if, um, if we're listening. After the, the, the entry into Jerusalem, uh, they move on to the, to the Lord's Supper, and they're in the upper room. And after Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, they were up there together, and, and, they, and Jesus washed their feet, took a towel, put it around his waist, and, and, and washed their feet. He asked them a question. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? This is another one of those powerful questions that we need to confront. 
do we understand what Jesus has done for us? We're talking about the God of creation becoming a human being and washing the feet of his disciples. We're talking about the Lord, the teacher, humbling himself uh, in front of his students, if you would, and giving them an example to follow. Chapter 13, verse 15. Chapter 13, verse 15 uh, describes it. Jesus said, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set an example that you should do as I have done We are to continue to do the work that Jesus began. We are to humble ourselves and serve one another. That is a powerful example that Jesus demonstrated uh, on that night. But he was demonstrating to the disciples what it meant to, uh, to be a disciple. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to humble yourself and serve others. We have to love the way Jesus loved. Next time we're going to talk about how we are empowered to do that and we will uh, look at chapter 14 and again please read ahead because again I'm just doing highlights from it to, uh, to, to talk about some of the impact that it had on the lives of the disciples and how that should impact our lives as well. But I I trust this has been a a meaningful journey. If you have comments or questions, please let me know. Love to hear how this is, um, uh, what you're gleaning from it, so that we can uh, learn together. But until next time, you have a great journey.